Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Well, you know, this is the thing that they don't miss being accepted, and supposedly the myths say that this happens every time, every 13,000 years. So this is the time when we learn everything. You know, I don't know if it's a short time and then we start forgetting it again or whatever, but this is that time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an episode of Overt Attention Show, The Crucible, Rise of the He-Goat. Tonight, we are going to be covering some of the key players and setting the timeline straight, hoping to do away with the vast majority of the nonsense. Uh, Matthew, do we have you here in the saddle? Yes, you do. You do indeed, Brian. Well, since many times I start with things, why don't you uh, go ahead and come in with some odds and ends before we start rolling into this. You still there, Matthew? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. Um, I'm used to uh, controlling the switchboard. (laughs) Um, This starts out with some very strange discoveries, links between Azerbaijan and Israel, that before, before last week, I had no idea there was any connections with the two governments. That's where it started. And naturally, um, my first instinct was to go to the pipelines. What's what's going on there? So that's the very first thing that I did when you and I had this conversation. And sure enough, uh, this is literally uh, a crucible just for pipelines, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you just do a search... For any of these, uh, the Trans-Caspian Pipeline, which is goes underneath the Caspian Sea, you have the Baku-Norvrisk uh, Pipeline, the Baku-Supsa Pipeline, uh, the Baku-Tbilisi Pipeline, which is two branches. It has one branch is a gas pipeline, the other is an oil pipeline. You begin to realize that well, there's only one pipeline that goes around the northern coast of the Caspian Sea. The rest originates in Azerbaijan. So that was my first instinct was, well, this has got something to do with the oil. That's why the Israeli government uh, wants to have friendly relations with Azerbaijan. And, you know, it's so clean and cut. When that's the way it is, when you find everything out is according to what your initial thoughts would be. But that's not what we do. You know, I get hundreds of questions concerning the Hebrew and the Greek in the Bible, God's holy word. And the only way I've ever learned anything is this way. You just take what it says 
and you swallow it. You accept it. And that's what we have to do with information on the ground, ladies and gentlemen. So Brian just put his head to the task of what's there. There's a reason. There's a historical reason why uh, these pipelines all go through Azerbaijan. It's not for any random reason. And whoever is there is supposed to be there, and God always knew this was going to be the case. But even tonight, Brian brings up some crazy things like, well, do you realize where the Bolshevik Revolution started? you got to be joking. I mean, this episode here spans so many different ways, like the chilling information that Brian and I stumbled across concerning the historical timeline for Alexander the Great. It's absolutely chilling with what is to come and just – how do I put that biblically? <laughs> In just a very little while, uh, there's going to be events taking place that took place. Thousands of years ago in Azerbaijan, and it's like Brian and I have always stated, this is just once around the ride, and it's not just the people that study the Bible that know that, and that's pretty obvious. So Brian, that's my initial thoughts and comments on this entire mess that you and I had no idea what we were, we're going to find but that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. We'd have no emotional attachment to the truth. We don't. Absolutely zero. We hit the history books. We see what the archaeological findings have been. And then Brian, when he can, because not all the times is this possible, but when he can, he consults the archaeogenetic data and sees who is here. And we have no emotional attachment to that. We have no emotional attachment to the data. That's just what it is. That's what we, the Brian and I, are commissioned to deliver, just the facts. But you're all going to come to the realization, ladies and gentlemen, oh, this is a crucible indeed. Brian? And this is the uh, thing, folks, uh, you know. One of the main reasons that I wanted to start what is going to be a series here is as we've been watching these events unfold, be it in the Middle East, be it with the geopolitical ramifications of things that are happening with Central Asia, the European continent, the United States, this sort of keeps going, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all these areas, because bottom line, no matter what, the entirety of the world, its people, its cultures, its religions, all of these things are important. When we're dealing with things here pertaining to the end of days, well, you know, there's a song that uh, Matthew plays over on the End Time Tribune over and over again about the end is where we begin. And that would be true because, well, if you don't start at the beginning – you're not going to properly be able to understand what's happening in the end. We've had things that have been interjected into our thought forms going on here for the last 200 years that even stretches back as far as our Middle Ages, uh, quote-unquote, identifications of certain people and very mythology surrounding them that has so completely and absolutely confused 
the body that it is just unbelievable. And I mean, this is the thing that really has to be pointed out is folks, you really have to understand, for instance, what was happening within the midst of the, uh, be it the Byzantine with the Eastern leg of the Roman empire, or even when we go to the Western under Constantine, what started to, to develop as time went on, you had these varied groups of people that all were trying to figure out how they fit. Well, who are we in the table of nations? So, of course, you had folks start coming along and just associating whomever with wherever. And this is all part of what's even led to more confusion that keeps continuing to boil to this very day, but your roots of nationalism are so very deeply embedded within this entire construct that it has just turned into an absolute and complete psychosis as far as how it is that we're going to be able to lock in who our key players are, where we should be watching on the timeline, where we need to be looking. And in order to undo all of this, well, that's exactly like Matthew pointed out. We have to hit the history books. We have to hit the archaeology. Not to even mention, we have a wonderful thing that has come along called genetics. That has completely changed the entire playing field. You have new archaeological finds that have been turning up over the course of, say, the last 20 years, 40, 60, 80. We can go back even 200 that are being completely overlooked by, A, the vast majority of your standard academics and academic community as far as history is concerned. But making matters worse, this is filtered into the teachers within the church. They pull from all the same old textbooks that have been handed out for ages on end They continue to build their cases off of the same outdated information, and they haven't sat down and gone over this complete, new, massive, massive amount of information that has come to the light over the course of time here. Now, I have been working through these things for years on end. You know, Matthew and I had a discussion years back about looking to real date for the birth of Christ. When we stated this in times past, many times on the End Time Tribune, that your real date locks into 12 BC. The date for the crucifixion locks into 2180. Okay, this is a much deeper topic that we will discuss at a different time. But the case in point is, is when looking at this, we began to have a discussion about the slaughter of the innocents. At the time of when he was born, But then going back to the previous time around the ride as to what happened in Egypt. Well, I discovered something peculiar because, look, we have a 12 BC ghost comet. Something told me that if I look at this ghost comet, we're going to find something that's also going to be a signal at the time of Moses. So, of course, you have to get the proper pharaoh. You have to get the proper timeline, and we can thank David Roll and a 
vast amount of other scholars now that have really sat down to the table and have started putting all of these pieces together and completely getting this timeline on track. And, you know, there's documentaries out there. We've had David on in the past discussing this very topic. He's in the middle of writing another book that follows into the time of all the varied kings in Israel. The, again, this has completely changed our understanding due to the fact of all of the findings now that have come forward and has completely started solidifying this whole picture together. Now, as I was stating, though, something told me, well, there had to be some sort of comet event. As a matter of fact, I need to look for a cycle, maybe. And this strange thing hits me. Well, where are you going to find the oldest records in the world? My mind automatically went, well, I need to look in India. I need to look in China. Once I began to look into the histories of these places, the things they were speaking of, my mind just starts spinning. Because the more you begin to look at, for instance, the text from ancient India, you know, you even look at the uh, Harappan civilization, known as the Indus Valley. But then you start on top of it, you start looking at the ancient history of China, looking at their text. Well, the next logical step is going to pull you into Central Asia, which is also going to pull you into Afghanistan, of course, and what is now modern-day Pakistan, and all the history involved with these places. The more I began to look at things and keep going and going and going with this over the years, suddenly I began to see things that others were not seeing. And I kept going with it because I knew something was happening. What this did is in turn, it completely reset the board as to who was who, where they were, where they went. All of a sudden the table of nations starts coming together. Now, at first, people are probably scratching their heads on this, but you see, here's the thing. Now, for instance, there is a website that I like to reference quite a bit called Upedia. This guy has done some of the best work I have seen with the archaeogenetic and connecting all of the archaeology in as well with the findings of the certain civilizations, uh, be it what they've named them as far as the archaeological digs, because obviously your archaeological digs are not going to be named after the people group. So, you know, that can confuse people a little bit. But nonetheless, you know, he's basically hits things out of the ballpark. When you look at what the archaeogenetic findings, meaning what they have found from the genetics that they have been able to recover from the skeletal remains in whatever place it may be, and then on top of it, when they start looking at the next set of data, looking at, well, where are these populations at as well, all of a sudden you start building a new picture to understand things that I've stated in times past. For instance, a big comment I made over the course of the last couple of weeks is you cannot understand ancient history without understanding climate change. Well, of course, they've confused everybody nowadays because first they started using the terminology global warming. And everybody, there's no global warming. And then they changed it to climate change. And now they run around saying there's no climate change. Look, this is a topic at a different time. Some things that Matthew stumbled on a little while ago that he spoke of on one of the programs that we're going to be having a much deeper discussion about sometime in the future, be it here or on the End Time Tribune. Climate change is a real thing when the terminology is properly 
used. It has changed courses of rivers all throughout history, which has been one of the biggest foundational factors as far as ancient civilizations because they had to have access to water, be it to water their fields, be it to have drinking water. This just keeps building. We've had cosmic catastrophes that have caused massive, massive repercussions in the ancient world. This has caused groups of people to migrate and then sometimes mix in with the local populations or to invade, to get kicked out of regions, be it through wars. This just keeps going in a billion different directions. Once all of this uh, archaeogenetics and genetic material has slowly progressed over the years, it has completely restructured our understanding of everything. The biggest debate that is going on right now within the discussions within the uh, people that study genetics. Um, for instance, uh, it's even brought up in a program that I've referenced before on a show we did on Eden, the Lost Kingdoms of Alexander the Great. You have a people there that are called the Joaquin. They call themselves the sons and of Alexander. What they ended up finding out about these people is that they were a primordial genetic stock of the human race. Now, when Alexander showed up there, he referred to these people because, you know, his army's invading. They're about to attack. And he says, stop. These are the sons of Dionysus. Well, we can explain a little bit more about Dionysus at a later time. Alexander knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. It wasn't madness. And he was heading straight for Eden. And he went there. We know he pulled well. He had a God complex. Um, that's pretty much common knowledge. By going to Eden, that solidified it even more in his mind. The point is, like I'm stating here with this Joaquin people, the big argument that's happening within the sciences of genetics is they have begun to realize that the out-of-Africa theoretical mold is now falling apart. Because now they're beginning to realize that mankind came up from the regions, what is modern-day Pakistan and around Afghanistan and even portions of India. That's where mankind began to funnel out of. When we have all of this archaeological material now, we have these new sciences with genetics, we have vast amounts of access to ancient texts, We've had a vast amount of etymologists who have worked with the language that have started to break down these barriers. And we have all this information now available at our fingertips as opposed to in the day. And some people still do it now. For instance, we've had one of our guests that has come on a couple of times go straight to the library. If you don't have these proper groups in their proper places, if you don't start where it is that you have to begin with the timeline you're going to have chaos. And that's what we have right now that is being taught from many of these circles. You know, as we've had things break out here with um, events that have transpired in Syria, some majorly serious ones happened just within the last week, but I'm going to discuss that tomorrow night on the End Time Tribute. With the chemical attack, with other varied odds and ends that have been happening, the meeting in Istanbul between Turkey and uh, 
Russia, and Persia, okay, you've had two streams coming out that keep repeating the same things. That we've had you know, the infamous Gog and Magog coalition has been formed because, of course, when you got Russia in the mix, well, that's where 90% of the time it ends up going no matter what. And then everybody's on top of it. Damascus is about to become a ruinous heap. Folks, this is why it is so absolutely important that this timeline is corrected. Not to even mention that the mythology and the fables are swept out the door and the hard data brought to the table. With the genetic findings, for instance, I sent Matthew one set of uh, the recent work that's been done by this person at Upedia concerning J2. Things I've been stating for years just going from the ancient historical text and building forward have actually been proved now. This all of a sudden changes the playing field. Now, I have said this time and time and time again. Folks, get out of your heads that Russia has anything to do with Gog and Magog. And in its time, all of that is going to be brought to the table. But this is the whole purpose of this series, is setting these things straight, getting people to understand the proper timeline, and to understand where it is that these groups of people are that are always mentioned. And Matthew had brought up with what's happening here with Azerbaijan. Well, this, this directly ties into the program we did a few Fridays back concerning Armenia. Because this is all connected. It's all connected in such a big way that it's unbelievable. But when you realize the ancient history, you start drawing the parallels. Parallels of things that happened during the time of the Assyrian Empire who sided with who, who didn't side with who. You roll these things forward to the time of Alexander the Great, who was our historical precedent to understand the rising of the Assyrian. When you start locking all these things together, when you start locking together the ancient civilizations, along with all of the new genetic data, the history, and the archaeology, things all of a sudden start to just jump out at you. Now, this is probably going to sound odd to people, but getting woke up over the course of the last couple of weeks before last Saturday's program on the End Time Tribune. I keep getting woke up. I was, I was going mad because I knew I had to start really digging into Azerbaijan, not knowing why. So I just kept doing it. At first, of course, you run into all kinds of confusion. But you can get through that confusion, but it takes a lot of work. And then within a few days, all of a sudden we're sitting here on an article that was released on the 29th of April out of uh, Haaretz, how pro-Israel Jews became Azerbaijan's secret weapon in Washington. Azerbaijan and Israel have enjoyed good relations for decades with reported arms and oil deals between the two countries. Now the Central Asian country is leveraging that goodwill to increase its influence in D.C. This next paragraph should probably catch everybody's attention. Reported out of Washington on the morning of April 18, an event celebrating Israel's 70th anniversary. And let me explain. 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation on the Hebrew calendar is April 18th. On the Gregorian calendar, it's the date coming up in May. So this actually now we can understand why they're saying the 70th anniversary on this date. 
That's important. But let me continue. On the morning of April 18, an event celebrating Israel's 70th anniversary was held on Capitol Hill. Despite the fact that such events were being held all over the United States, that week, this one was particularly unusual, as it honored not only Israel, but also another country, the Republic of Azerbaijan. Celebration was attended by members of Congress from both parties, Jewish and Christian religious leaders, activists from the Jewish community, and representatives of the Azerbaijan Embassy in D.C. Overall, approximately 50 people attended. They were handed leaflets with flags of both countries, Israel's white and blue flag with the Star of David, and Azerbaijan's horizontal tricolor with an Islamic crescent and eight-pointed star in the middle. As if an event honoring Israel and another country wasn't unique enough, the fact that the other country was a Muslim-majority nation added even more significance to the gathering. Israel and Azerbaijan have enjoyed official relations since 1992. Indeed, Azerbaijan remains one of the few Muslim-majority countries to fully recognize Israel and normalize diplomatic relations with the Jewish state. But the event represented a new stage in relations between the two countries. Azerbaijan is not trying to downplay its relationship with Israel or keep it quiet, as many Muslim and Arab countries have done over the years. Instead, it is openly celebrating that relationship in the hope of utilizing it to improve its own standing in D.C. And this article continues, folks, and you're going to find this on Haaretz.com. Uh, and this one is actually under the premium account, which you can subscribe and get, I believe it's six free articles that you can look at per month. And if you want to see this article, I would advise you do it because, well, this is very important. Now, one of the things they've linked in here as well to this is, well, there's a picture in the midst of uh, the slideshow that we have up for the show that's got some of our famous people that we've talked about time and time again over the years. One of them is the Azerbaijani president standing right in the middle of Mikhail Saakashvili, the ex-president of Georgia. On the other side is Erdogan, the leader of Turkey. The one thing that catches your attention, though, is the image that was posted by Azerbaijan's embassy, the Star of David, and the two flags as it stated the 70th anniversary. Now, look, folks, I'm not even joking. I didn't know about any of this prior to this. I had never even considered to start looking deeply at their history. Didn't even know why I was being driven to start looking deeply at this place. But it was happening. To make matters even more interesting, for instance, it came to light 2016 that Donald Trump, well, he built a Trump Tower out in Azerbaijan, out by Baku. Well, it turns out the deal was actually made roundabout with a person that was bypassing the sanctions on Iran through basically filtering money through. And, you know, we know how this whole thing goes. And it was the uh, infamous Trump Tower was built there. Last weekend, folks, that tower went up in flames. Now, as I stated to Matthew the other day, it says that God is screaming at us right now. This whole situation in Armenia. It continues to go up 
and down and up and down and up and down. Things had been sorted out, then they're not sorted out, then they're sorted out, then they're not sorted out. This leader of the Velvet Revolution, supposed to be voted in as the prime minister or so he thought earlier in the week, didn't get enough votes in the parliament. Now they're claiming that, well, we're going to change it to one-third votes. And the infamous party, Republican Party, there states, well, we're going to back you, but we don't know what will happen. Something I do want to point out, though, is these leaders, prime minister there, guy that's been even pushed in, and many of these folks within the Republican aspect of their party in Armenia, they're all connected to the Russian oil and gas giant Gazprom. Now, I've come across some real interesting little articles that are coming out of think tanks, also known as NGOs, but are also security analysts that are directly tied to Washington, D.C., that are talking about we have to stand strongly behind Armenia to show that the Western world and the European nations are all going to push behind democracy. I've come across other articles from other major think tanks stressing what is happening here. Nargamo Karbakh, it's a breakaway section in Azerbaijan. Mania took control of it. This has been causing massive wars to break out since the 90s when Azerbaijan declared independence. It's going back and forth. The last great big breakout was in 2016. There's history involved with this place that goes so deep as well that it's unreal. But anybody watching this circumstance that understands the geopolitical ramifications of this full well knows that this is turning into a massive flashpoint. That this thing has the full-blown ramifications of causing this entire region to explode. Now, I have pointed out time and time and time again that there are many of these security analysts out there. There's ex-CIA agents, um, including Bob Bear. This has been brought up by multiple, numerous, numerous reputable people. That the Caspian Sea Basin, the oil, Central Asia, you've got them in Kazakhstan and these other places, were what led in a roundabout way to September 11th. You have a new great game being played in the midst of this to get access to all of these places. We had talks going on in the 90s with people that were in the energy districts in Clinton's White House moving forward by the time you had Bush. Cheney had been behind a lot of things. He's also an oil baron himself tied in with one of the major companies that were also stating that we have to get control of this area so that we can get away from the OPEC cartels because of obviously 1973. What happened in 1973, everybody? What war took place? It's important. So I've talked about these oil shocks before. The Caspian was always a way out for America to try to wean themselves from gas coming from the Saudi Arabian nations, from OPEC. We've had so many things that have happened with OPEC over the years. It's ridiculous. Long, drawn-out history. That's not what the topic at hand is here. Point is, is the strategic value as far as these uh, global players are concerned who see everything like a chessboard. This is one of the most important places in the world to them right now. 
What's happening in Armenia here, it's got hallmarks of past things that have happened. We may never know the reality of what's really the big driving factor here. We know that actual actual people on the ground in Armenia are fed up with a corrupt regime that's been ruling over them, and they want to take them care of. That's no different than how initially the protest in Ukraine broke out. But, of course, in Ukraine, somebody came in, used that to their advantage, used that to take over. We saw the same pattern happen in the Arab Spring. Many of those started out innocently enough. All of a sudden, somebody comes in, stirs the pot, things go in a completely different direction. You know, it was real easy to see with, for instance, what happened in Egypt. We had the leader brought in that overthrew the previous. You had Muslim Brotherhood all of a sudden take the reins. Well, they got rid of the him, and now we've got Sisi is taking the reins, and he's running things in a same sort of puppet dictator way that's happening elsewhere. So you've got these hallmark things happening in all these key places. Something is fishy with Armenia. I don't know who's behind it. I don't even know if it's relevant. What is relevant is you've got that entire party that's associated with the Republicans there are connected to Russia's Gazprom. Over in the Caspian oil basin, you have Azerbaijan, Baku, that are in massive deals working with Israel and the United States. It's just an article I believe I posted last night or the night before that on my Twitter brings all of this into the equation. Big meeting with congressional people, the United States and the leaders of Azerbaijan. They're talking about Nargama Kalbak, stuff in Armenia as well. Got massive business dealings going on, oil barons, you name it. I mean, it's interesting when you begin to realize and look at the history just from um, the last 120 years forward. Because you had out there, you know, obviously we had the Rockefeller thing with all the oil takeoff here. That's all real complex, just keeping it simple here. But then you had out in Baku, you had the noble family. He was part of manufacturing guns and this, that, and the other thing went out there to look for some kind of wood, and then all of a sudden got oil fever, as they call it. But then all of a sudden another family comes into the equation that was trying to get the oil out of there. Trains bringing it through to Turkey. You got the Rothschilds all of a sudden in the equation as well. And that train coming through Turkey, this ties so deeply into some of the factors that led to World War I that it's absolutely ridiculous. This place has held so much importance all throughout history. You have this spot where the oil workers got fed up and started striking, which Lenin stoked towards the Bolshevik Revolution. You had to go further, and the Bolshevik Revolution breaks out in this area, which later leads to what? Well, later in history, obviously, the Soviet Union. You had Turkey being dispatched out there by Germany during World War I to that Baku oil basin to get the oil because, well, Germany was losing because they didn't have the oil and the gas to use the new industrialized weapons from that era. They couldn't get there. Germany ended up leaving the war. They surrendered. Of course, as history progresses, well, where did this go to you? Austria-Hungary, of course, we've got, we've talked about that in times past on the End Time Tribune. 
Hitler came from Austria-Hungary. Of course, you know, he joins with Germany. All of what happened there was what then escalated in a domino effect. It's the rise of Nazi Germany. And as you go forward in around 1942, once again, uh, Hitler is trying to send his troops directly to take the Baku. They had trucks breaking down. Well, not breaking down, but running out of gas in the Caucasus Mountains region or modern region because that's not always been the name. The Caucasus used to be down by Pakistan and Afghanistan near the Hindu Kush region. Geography changes, folks. He's breaking down. You know, they're running out of gas. They're stuck on those mountains. They keep trying to push for it. Eventually, we know what happened next is the Soviet Union and comes in, surrounds Germany. American troops come in. Nazi Germany is defeated. And then history progresses. We'll not talk about where that history progressed to. That's for another day. That gives you a blanket understanding of some of the history. I'm going to hand it back over to Matthew here to take a little bit of a break. Well, Brian, the first thing everybody wants to know is, you know, where's this at in the Bible? (laughs) Much like historically, what has caused a lot of problems is when Pakistanis started turning to Christ, the king, they would come to the church leadership and say, well, we want to know who we are in the table of nations. Answers had to be given based upon the facts known at the time. The problem with that is, ladies and gentlemen, is that more information and new data is always collected. But the church leadership, by force of legality, of course, must adhere to what the church leadership, irregardless of denomination. Hold to what has been established beforehand. This causes for, how do I put that? Doctrine becoming entrenched, which is not altogether a bad thing. Of course, this has stopped massive heresies being proclaimed and um, the altercation of church uh, official stances. But there are times when, well, the data needs to be collected. The archaeological finds need to be gone over, and facts and doctrines need to be revised, and that's just the way it is. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, that what I thought the Bible was saying when I was nine years old was but a shadow of the truth I know now. That's just the natural progression of the body of Christ. Take, for example... Brian aforementioned the slaughter of the innocents. Well, everybody is aware that David Rowe brought forth the information that uh, all those babies had been found. Yet, the information is not updated in all the major denominations. So, as I aforementioned, Brian and I have no emotional attachment to the facts. They are what they are. That's what we run with. But when we see events and connections on the ground, we go to the Bible, take a look at it, and we don't always find what we like. But that's what we run with. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible, God's holy word, is nothing but a baton that is to be passed 
from one generation to the next, irregardless of the common tongue. It's irregardless. It was delivered to us in the Hebrew and the Greek. That's what we pass. You will hear Brian and I quote from the English Standard Version sometimes. Um, there's times I use the Revised Standard Version. There's times you hear us use the KJV. There's times you hear us use uh, Green's Little Translation, of course. It's also his final edit of it. It's called the KJ3. We don't care about the Russian translations or the Spanish translations or the English translations. They're all just translations. We know exactly what Jesus was reading from in the synagogues because we got copies of the Septuagint from 300 B.C. There is no doubt, historically speaking, what the New Testament was written in. No doubt. That's what we give you. That is the baton which we pass to the Lord our God's sons and daughters, irregardless of where they come from. So if I'm doing discourse with people in South Korea, everything I give is from the Bible, God's Holy Word. It's not from the KJV or the New American Standard Bible or anything else. The questions come to me, translated from Korean. They get responded to in my tongue with what I have to say, with the small talk that needs to go with the data that I send to them in Hebrew and Greek. So we need to come to grips with this crucible. Because, ladies and gentlemen, just pull up a map. There is no reason why anyone would want to create a single place with which they could pinch off all of the black gold that flows west, ladies and gentlemen. You just wouldn't do that. Of course you wouldn't do it. You just need to target one place and literally shut down Europe. You can just shut everything that goes west completely down. That, of course, was by design. The question is, who is the architect... Brian took a look and seen what he could see. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to cover. If you hear things that um, varies from your independent doctoral stances, well, that's because the information has been updated. You can take the baton, pass it along, or throw it away. Brian, back to you. Well, and that's uh, I'm pulling together some of this prep stuff that I've done throughout the week. Now, there's just a vast amount of material that we've ended up finding here as I've gone through this and uh, connected it in to different things stated in the Bible, to different Hebrew and Greek words, going over, looking through the history, which, trust me on this, folks, uh, try to go out there and find some sort of e-version of a book that deals with Azerbaijani history and I'll let you know ahead of time good luck with that because it is so lacking anywhere out there outside of books that will take you a lot of money to try to order what has been made available as time has gone on 
Now, one of the pieces I came across is actually one of the academic books that's been written and is used in the schools there. And this has been translated to English from Azerbaijani. So at times you're looking at things and you're kind of scratching your head. You get a little confused as to what is being stated. But at the same time, there's a lot of stuff in there that I kept looking at, looking over and over and over again. Because of how much I've studied the ancient history, a lot of these areas, I was already seeing correlations to who these people were. I can even understand within the ancient tribal names that they're translating from Azerbaijani to English, I can start seeing things that start to stand out. Now, the most infamous first kingdom that is known here is, well, they'll refer to it as Mana, or M-A-N-N-A, which if you look it up, you're going to find out that's the Manian. Now, they, very folks out there have tried to state that that is Armenia. You know, of course, they, they'll put the city name for Ur in front of Mana or Manian and come to that conclusion. But here's the thing. You know, we've talked about a very specific scripture that brings up Ashkenaz. Well, Ashkenaz is one of the sons of Japheth. The ancient Assyrian texts referred to them as the Ashkuza, the Ashkuza, and other very similar sounding terminology. They were part of what Herodotus referred to as one of the tribal groups, anyways, of the Scythian. And there's so many people out there that have tried to correlate who this, that is, um, and the other person, as far as these groups from the Table of Nations, and they try to take the Scythian as being just one group of people when Herodotus never, ever, ever gave you that idea. And you have to go through there, and you have to pick apart the Greek. You have to pay careful attention to everything he's saying. And then you get to go over it again, and go over it again. But then you take it and you look at all the archaeological data that has now been made available to the Western world since the end of the Cold War. Because before, we didn't know any of this stuff. Once the Cold War ended, though, outside of a few other texts, as a matter of fact, I have one of these texts in my possession um, that were handed out at some of the schools. Somebody took it and sold it at a used bookstore here was one of these texts that was translated from Russia before the Cold War ended. It's actually a group of little booklets that they were handing out for the class uh, books. But it was a very limited amount of material that was coming out previous to that. Now they've all sat down and have done the same thing, looking over what Herodotus was talking about. They began to look at all the surrounding areas throughout Central Asia, including Afghanistan and Pakistan and India, all the rest of these places, of course, Persia, the Medes. You know, we can keep kind of going here. Group listed there by Herodotus was a different group of people. They will try to confuse people, and now the big one that they're trying to say that all these Scythian people were, they say they were the Turks. Well, no, folks, that's not true. You know, I mean, to give a prime example of somebody who did a vast amount of damage to history, and I, I don't so easily state that he did it on accident. 
No, because this book, this book caused a lot of damage, even leading up to twisting Hitler's thinking. And that is the infamous uh, Western take on the Huns, which has left all the Western academics completely confused because of the works from Jordanes, who was from the 6th century. His infamous book, The Origins and the Deeds of the Gods. And that's where they pulled their understanding of the Huns from. And you'll even pull up documentaries still made to this day where you'll get a bunch of them that'll say, well, we're not sure about this, that, or the other thing. They all keep going back to these accounts left by Jordanes, and it's just one great big wall of confusion. But this is where the Chinese records all of a sudden became very important. And recall, everybody, that's what I said before. One of the places I went was China early on years ago. Chinese refer to these people as the Hanu. Then all of a sudden you begin to realize just by studying just that group at that, from that point of history and how far they went back, just as any of the historians and archaeologists out there will tell you, even with the example of the Huns, these tribal confederations were not made up of one strict uh, group of people. They were mixed groups and tribal confederations that joined up with them. You cannot just state that all of these groups that were in Central Asia, they're all Turks. That's completely and absolutely misleading. Nor can you do what they've connected because people get confused. Josephus makes a statement about Gog and Magog and the Scythian. Well, look, folks, you kind of got to realize movements of people because, yeah, they were in Central Asia at one time. They moved to the Balkans. So in an odd way, Josephus was pointing you in the right direction. But without understanding that each one of those groups were made up of a whole complete mixed group of varied tribes from the table of nations, you go nowhere. And you start repeating all these same things. So that's where we break going back to what I brought up with Ashkenaz. As things progress with the Assyrian tongue, with the things pointed out with their texts that have been found, they start realizing that this is the Saka branch of the Scythian. More specifically, the ones I've zeroed on in on is the branch that was referred to by Herodotus as the Saka Tigra Huda, or the Scythian with pointy hats. You can see the most, I'd have to say, classic example in the Bison inscription of Darius the Great. Because at the back, when he's got all these people chained there, he's got one great big guy with a huge pointy hat that's completely out of place, for one thing. Well, it's out of place because Darius, on the Bison inscription, claims that he came in and subdued those people. But no, he didn't. Because historical texts state emphatically he never did. So, of course, you know, that was added in at a different time. But, I mean, your first thoughts when you look at that, you know, I, I liked how Matthew brought it up. Look at the tall gnome. That's one branch. It's a branch that comes through JPEG. Okay, so now we have one identifier. Ashkenaz tied to the Saka Scythian that Herodotus spoke of because of a Syrian dialect keeping the name and passing it on. Okay, so there we have a dot. The same verse that I'm referring to in our English tongue will say, Erat 
Mini, Ashkenaz. Here's where Arat, where you really got to break it down. Because Arat is Ura 2. It was that kingdom. We talked about the connection with the Chaldees. We called the before. Same kingdom. Mini, which were the Menean people, different people group, different kingdom, not Armenia. And then Ashkenaz. And they all showed up around the time that we start leading to the Medes coming together, Assyria sacked. Then we have the Chaldeans in Assyria, which we've discussed in the Queen of Babylon program that we did on the Band of Time. Actually is locked into a real Assyrian queen who mixed with the Chaldean from Earth 2 up in what is present-day Armenia. So the mother was an Assyrian, the father, the Chaldeans from there, and that birthed the kings that sat upon the throne. This is all through one woman. This has all been verified through historical documentation. And the Bible talks specifically about this. So then all of a sudden you have Nebuchadnezzar and his family. They're all descended from a Syrian queen. And all of a sudden then you start understanding that point in history at the time of Daniel. But before you get to that point in history, well, you got to start looking at events that led towards the sacking of Assyria and the Menean or a two. And we can leave Ashkenaz out of this for the time being. Something very interesting is going on throughout much of this phase, and even some of our key players. We've got Sargon too, the different Sargons, Sennacherib, Ashurbanipal. They all had treaties, were allied with the Minean. Whereas Eratu, or Arat, as it says in the Bible there, well, they weren't. And they kept trying to put puppets on the throne that would break the treaties with the Assyrians. Trouble would ensue. The proper heir to the throne, Amania, would get back on that throne again. They'd still be allied with them. Once again, somebody on the outside over from Ur2 would start doing the same thing all over again. They still would stay in alliance with the Assyrians. This is important because when you come to the infamous statements being made by Rabshaka to Hezekiah, you get a specific list in there of all the places they subdued and all the gods they've moved. And you look at those names, you start tracking down which one of these groups are. There's all kinds of real major hints that point you in all the proper directions. You begin to realize that somebody's missing from this mix. The Manians are nowhere to be found. Why? Because they were allied with the Assyrians. Outside of the attempted coups, they stayed allied with the Assyrians. All the way to the time of Sennacherib, we had Sennacherib is killed by his sons, Ashurbanipal being one of them. He flees up to where? Same region. You know, we have Sennacherib worshiping a god not of his fathers, Nisroch. All this hugely, vastly important, especially considering we have major coalitions going on allied with, for instance, the United States, Israel, and Azerbaijan. There's our shadow and silhouette that we have to watch for for the rise of the Assyrians. We've been emphatically told 
watch for that shadowed silhouette of what Alexander the Great had done. And toward the history of Alexander the Great, all of a sudden, you have to go over that with the fine home. You have to start putting the pieces together. Unfortunately, we have a vast amount of our history concerning Alexander the Great. That was the Romans got a hold of it and started releasing it. So it's left gaps in mysteries. Luckily, we've had folks that have that bit of exploration in their blood, and they're like, well, I want to figure this out. So they go out and they start looking. This has brought a great deal of understanding to everything that happened there at the time of Alexander the Great. By the time of Alexander the Great, they were part of the satrapy under Atropatine. First, Atropatine was in the battles, supporting Darius III. You have the, uh, they refer to them as the Caucasian Albanians. Now that that terminology is still a little bit in left field. The text in the Greek, for instance, will refer to them as the Alban. You get all sorts of different names. That's one of the groups that's listed in the armies of Atropatine, who was ruling over Media Major, which is the Azerbaijani section in northern Iran. It's a different nation, different group of people. That's where the Medes are at in that area. And then you had Media Minor, which was tied in to Azerbaijan, which was over there at Azerbaijan. Strangely enough, you also find out, and this one's a little difficult for me to verify, but at least according to these Azerbaijani historians, well, the person that basically betrayed Darius III, Bessius, did so right up there by Azerbaijan, the country. And you see, this is um, what caused Alexander the Great to get furious because he disrespected the king. So he chased this guy down. This is what led to him going through all these different corridors in Afghanistan, going on up into these various steppe regions, Sogdians, all of this. It's because of chasing him down. But that's not really the only reason, because like I said before, there was a method to what many historians throughout the years thought Alexander was just roaming around lost. No, by no stretch of the imagination. You know, people always talk about the oracle in Egypt. You know, Matthew and I had a deep discussion about this one time. Now, after I did that work locking in Eden, why was he going to Eden? Because he goes right there. You know, and even to... This is another little thing that has to be cleared up, too. Everybody talks about that infamous uh, ancient mythological empire of Arata, which is brought up, of course, you know, David Rowe's work. He identified Emrakar as the ancient Nimrod in the Bible. I've looked over his evidence, his work, the documentaries going with it. I think he's on to something. I don't really have any reason to question that. But one of the things that keeps you know coming up is when you look at these ancient Sumerian texts and all of this, you keep having that errata being brought up. So uh, many have speculated that it is by the Zagros Mountains in Iran, or they put it over some of these people in Azerbaijan, and even up by the Ukraine are trying to say that that's errata. There's a problem with that, though. There's certain key things that he was sent to get. One of those is Lapis Lazuli. One place in the world has only been the major supplier throughout history and still to this day of Lapis Lazuli. 
in the tongues from the texts, the people groups that are collected in the ancient texts from India, they have people that are associated with Harata, Arata, different groups that have those same names. Then lo and behold, just as I had found, you find out that that's what is now modern-day Harat in Afghanistan. So on top of it, you find out that there's ancient scripts that have been found there that call that place Havilah. Lo and behold, mystery salt. We talked about the merchants of the earth before. Okay, folks, there's been vast amounts of work done concerning where certain goods were brought from and placed all throughout the trade routes throughout the entirety of the ancient world. And yes, folks, they know this beyond any shadow of a doubt now. They try to say that China was cut off for all these years, had no connection with the other side of the world. And then, you know, people come up with these ideas of, um, you know, well, they all had the same idea in their head. So that's why these varied stories are exactly like these stories here. No, folks, people all throughout the world have always been connected. China was trading with all these empires all the way back to ancient times. And this just keeps going. We have so much in front of us that we can completely begin to undo the mess that's been created here. And we don't have to, I mean, we got a whole string of them out there that have decided they were going to make arguments by using a cult and Masonic text and all kinds of other garbage. You never needed to go there. That's where it's gone in some of these circles. Some of these people are still, of course, you get confused with the Middle Ages stuff. You know, I came across the site, just looking through some stuff, and I came across one site where this guy was trying to connect all the genetic data with who these people were, and he kept using the Middle Ages mythology. And that just, I kept going through it, and I just kept shaking my head because the poor guy doesn't know any better. It's not like he's intentionally doing it. He just doesn't understand what happened during that period in history. So you're going to run into these things. You can't immediately be angry with these people because they're just repeating the same patterns that have gone on throughout time. So yes, this is still where things have to be set straight. I'm taking this all the way back around. Okay, we had this spot in Azerbaijan. It's been a crucible, or as Matthew pointed out to me, it means flashpoint to some very specific things that we have been told that we need to watch for in these last days. Now, I appreciate that everybody's attention has got fixated on Damascus. At least there's looking in these areas. We don't need to be talking about Gog and Magog yet. Not at all. Go starting from Revelation 18, 17 even, start working yourself forward. You begin to realize that there's cross-references that are directly to Ezekiel 39. Fill it in. You know the timing because of that. We don't need to be jumping to these spots yet. And because of this, people aren't paying attention to important things that are happening right now that far outweigh the propaganda nonsense that's been put out there. I mean, I'm not going to say their last names. I'll call them the two Joels because that's what their names, first names are. One's written all kinds of fiction that links the Islamic people to being the armies of Antichrist. Again, fiction. And then another one, he's wrote an entire string of um, books saying the same thing, not being fiction, 
And this somehow has just gotten at the forefront. Everybody runs around repeating this stuff. I remember years back, people here locally, I walk in, they're watching on TV. And I'm just looking at it going, you got to be joking. And then they start asking me what I think. And I'm like, this is delusional. There's no reality in this. Now, are they a part of the forces from the Assyrian that arise? Yes. But we've discussed that before. But Islam itself is not. Okay, folks, that, that nonsense needs to be thrown out the window. I, I couldn't even believe some statements I heard being made by a couple of these self-proclaimed uh, folks. Once again, going to the atypical garbage, <laughs> quoting stuff from the Hadiths or commentaries. Blanket statements using that to once again start bashing on the Islamic people. And going into one of these other uh, Joel's, he's also wrote another string of books that are fiction, where once again he's written it about this uh, very evil ruler in Russia and tying it into, of course, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Then he gets quoted on. He gets brought on, for instance, like Fox News, and guess what? All of a sudden, he's an expert in Russia. Really? His book is fiction, folks. Entertainment. Nor is he any kind of expert in either of these areas. But that's what happens so much here. So it's time to start setting the record straight. This flashpoint, it is huge. And this is only an introduction because there's no way we can cover all the extent to why this flashpoint is. There is something happening here with Azerbaijan and Armenia and all the other surrounding areas that nobody is paying attention to. You know, we've discussed time and time again because in Daniel 8, it makes a reference to 2,300 days. Now, there's other links that we've talked about in a program we did concerning the battle for Mi'kmash during World War One, But there's also another stream of data. Now, how did I calculate the numbers that I'm about to explain? I used the Hebrew calendar itself. Perfect way to lock down your calculations. And then you take those and you convert it straight over to our Gregorian calendar. Because then you don't have to deal with the zeros and the negatives and all the mess that's happening with the varied calendar systems that brought us to where we are now. You just stick straight to the Hebrew calendar, lock those dates in, move forward. Everything is crystal clear. So what did I do? I took from the death of Alexander the Great, I locked in 2,300 years. Guess what that brings you to? 1979. What all happened throughout all those years? Big one. Russian-Afghanistan war. Russia invades there, pulled over. By the strategy used by Brzezinski, the grand chessboard strategy, tricks him to coming into what they call the graveyard of nations. Mujahideen against the Russians, they later roll forward to some of them get involved in Taliban, some in Al-Qaeda, some go over and fight in the wars in the Balkans. Some of them are just people that fought against the Russians, and they're all right folks. But yes, the, these events led to where we sit now. This all sitting at that 2,300-year marker from the death of Alexander the Great. All of a sudden, Afghanistan becomes a huge flashpoint all over again. What else do we have happen during that time frame? Now, window of time, 
the Iranian Revolution. We have major events that happen over in Egypt, over in Israel, up in Syria. Well, this just keeps going. The point is, there's a very strange portion in time that was also singled out. If you take Alexander the Great's time of his death, you add 2,300 years onto this, all of a sudden you start looking at it again and going, wait a minute, the route of Alexander is being played out again in broad daylight. We need to be looking here first, not at all of these other spots that everybody is getting everybody else to look at. We were told to watch for this pattern so that we would see the rise of the Assyrians. I'm going to let Matthew have the uh, reins here. That's right, Brian. If there is an architect to everything being focused in this location, that was done based off historical data. Ladies and gentlemen, understand this. He is called the Lord's Axe. He is called the Lord's Rod. These things are real. It has nothing to do with what you have been taught. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that is the truth. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is just off the charts that at present moment, most eschatology concerning the identity of the main player in the tribulation comes from a Richard Donner film, ladies and gentlemen. The omen has got nothing to do with the Bible. Damien is not real, ladies and gentlemen. The only person you should be trying to ascertain his whereabouts and his activities does not come from the entertainment industry. It just doesn't. Now, I'm aware that copies of A Thief in the Night was sent to all youth groups across, well, all major denominations at the time. I am well aware of the simple fact that the left behind theology is based on fiction. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to concern yourself with what I've shared with the world for decades now. He's not the Antichrist. That is in obvious and overt in the Greek references to the spirit of Antichrist. The antipode to the Holy Spirit, not the antipode of Christ. Oh no. So, I have shared the technical data with what the Greek has to offer. The simple fact that, ladies and gentlemen, have you looked at these said verses in Greek? Have you taken the time to look at them? Because, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm going to tell you right now is is real. I'm not joking or making this up. I've published this even on Facebook uh, many times. Ladies and gentlemen, the verses in question, you need to seriously take a look at them. Uh, because in the first part of the verse, what I'm going to tell you is real. This is actually real, ladies and gentlemen. The simple fact that <clears throat> half of the verse is masculine and half of the verse is feminine. And it does that for a reason. Because you can't do this in English, ladies and gentlemen. You can't. You can't. 
you need to understand that you cannot put the Greek word hurios, which is son, up to the feminine form of destruction. You can't do it, but that's exactly what the Greek does in the verse. You know the verse to say, the son of perdition. That's feminine. You can't do that. There's no such thing as a feminine form of a son. There's no such thing. Because when you look at it, the first part of the verse is masculine and makes reference to falling or apostasy in Greek. Letting you know that the man of sin, masculine, that's masculine, is an angelic entity. And the son of perdition is his human conductor, known as the false prophet and the Assyrian. Now, I've taken this verse and published it even on Facebook before, showing you exactly that, uh, no, you're obviously confused. But ladies and gentlemen… You need to know and understand that in your heart. All this talk about the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist, that literally comes from a Richard Donner film titled, uh, yeah, The Omen. It comes from movies like uh, Thief in the Night and Left Behind. Because I hate to break it to you, the Bible, God's Holy Word, does never assign the nomenclature of Antichrist to the false prophet or the Assyrian. It 100% of the time references the antipode to the Holy Spirit, not Christ. So you need to just step back and take a deep breath. And I'm sorry to be the one to inform this to you. But, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I know you can do this on Bible Hub. Look at whether the Greek word in question is masculine or feminine or not. And please take a look and tear apart. Take a whole month if you need to tear apart Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. By all means, if you need two months, do it. See what's staring you in the face. Ladies and gentlemen, your theology can't come from the entertainment industry. It can't. They've done that to you on purpose. Like I was just questioned massively... Over the past two weeks about a post that I did proving beyond any shadow of a doubt um, the entering of the word rapture into the English vernacular is from Shakespearean plays. There is no word rapture before those Shakespearean plays. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I sp spent the first two years in an institution of higher learning. Bringing to bear two of my professor's abilities to contact all the universities on the planet through inter-university loan. I assure you, the origin of the word rapture is the entertainment industry, whether you like it or not. You've got to shake this off of you. You've got to throw this garbage away because if you believe all that, I'm about to say something that's… Going to disturb you. You're going to become disturbed because you're not waiting on any secret incursion from Christ the King. Oh no, uh, you're going to have an event horizon 
with the Lord thy God. That's what the Bible says. No mention of any secret incursion by the Son is ever mentioned, not ever. But the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, when he gets up, exit stage left, Mount Zion. Ah, yes, the silence in heaven. You need a hint. You don't have a clue. And he is coming. So if what I'm saying to you is a shock to your system, you need to reboot your system. And you need to do a virus scan of any, any biblical data that's been derived from the entertainment industry and remove those viruses. Because you've literally been entertained to death. Well, that is the entirety. It's just undoing, undoing some of the things that have occurred in a slow trickle over the years. And literally resetting everything straight. Now, of course, everybody's quite, uh, just likes the uh, geopolitical work that I'm doing on our Saturday night programs on the End Time Tribune. But you can ask Matthew this. Look, my specialty, my favorite thing, has always been ancient history. And that's honestly how it is that, in some roundabout, interesting way, that I was able to understand geopolitics because if I didn't start the ancient history and keep working at this and continue to keep working at this, for instance, like I'm doing now, then you look at these geopolitics and try to apply this to what we need to be watching for in this time. You see, you can't do one without the other. So, of course, I took a crash course in the last 120 years. There's still a plethora of things I need to learn, and I'm going to continue to learn. And as I learn these things, I'll bring them forward. Same goes with ancient history. There's still a plethora of things I need to learn, and will continue to learn, and they will be presented as well. Azerbaijan? I had no idea. I mean, I, I realized that there was flashpoints out in Russia that led to the Bolsheviks. I previously knew about the noble, the Rothschild. Rockefeller with all the stuff that happened there with the oil. Okay, but I didn't realize it was all locked around this place. So you had flashpoints in our 120-year time span here. Taking it directly from Genesis 6. The life of a man shall no longer go past 120 years. That's our generation. But many people get confused with lifespans. What you'll get you know, depending on what part of the world. I mean, to give a, for instance, you know, one of the best examples I saw was, you know, when I'm studying the history of uh, Arabia, you know, especially at the time of Muhammad, well, you find out that he was technically speaking for their age old because their lifespan was extremely short because of breathing in the sand and all the other environmental circumstances. So, of course, you have all kinds of differing environmental circumstances, be it at what time in history, where you're at, what the places are like that you live in, what kind of work you're doing. You know, we can keep going with this. But the point is, is lifespans are completely different as opposed to what God is telling us in his holy word as to what a generation is, our counting fate. You know, and as I had brought up earlier at the beginning of this, you know, I, you know, a lot of people have probably been 
kind of scratching their heads over time here as, for instance, how it was that I somehow knew to watch a very specific date to start seeing rumblings in the financial realm across the world. Well, that's because of the work that Matthew had me to look into 12 BC and 21 AD. That's what sort of caused the explosion, pushing me in all these directions and starting to learn all these things. But it's because it locks into all that. So that's why I knew where to lock in our timeline, where to zero in on that 120 years. And then we start further breaking things down. This is why things have been stated that I pointed out, folks, we're going to have financial rumblings at this point. You better watch for it. It happens. It doesn't make me a prophet in that area by any stretch of the imagination. No, I knew because I sat down, I re-looked over everything, looked at it, thought it over again with the calculator, set it all out, looked at one, two, and three. Number one, when the white horse begins to ride, which represents nationalism, in that window, the next day, our current Commander-in-Chief in the United States was inaugurated. So go to the next one. That next date, all of a sudden, lo and behold, guess what? Strangely, the Charlottesville protest broke out where the anti-fascists fought the fascists. And unfortunately, that woman was run down and killed in the street. So as I've talked about this before, that next rider, that red horse, what does that represent? Okay, they've always talked about socialism and being the red this and the red that and you got your connections into the Bolsheviks and communism okay at first we had thought it was nationalism and populism but the more you look at it especially the way they use the terminology here in the U.S. now to confuse people you start realizing that nationalism and populism have now been put into a blanket meaning that's all one and the same thing and then you start asking yourself the question of wait a minute well why is all this stuff happening centering around America because America is not the heart of prophecy. And I would agree with you. The thing that Matthew and I have always discussed over these years, last days, Babylon will be behind the perpetrating events that work in tandem with the four craftsmen, the four writers from Revelation, the craftsmen from Zechariah. And there's even some interesting details in there if you pay careful attention in Zechariah about where the craftsmen and those horses went at that time because it's very, very telling, which, again, we'll come back to at another point. As we've watched everything is progressing here over the course of these last, how many months, last couple of years, going backwards, going backwards, going backwards, folks, you can recognize right now that we are on having the major events begin to play out. You've always been told you need to start with the he-goat slamming into the ram of media Persia. Well, we've had elements throughout this 120-year time span that have laid the foundation for varied things. We've had the Sykes-Picot Agreement, the Red Line Agreements, all the varying oil agreements that were made with Germany, France, United States dividing up. Russia was involved at one point in time. Then, of course, you know, the atypical, like... Uh, Jonathan Pye, I believe is his name, you know, he points out in his first famous diatribe, and Russia is always bad. Well, of course, they got pulled out of the middle of it. So you had those divisions take place, and it just keeps going in a multitude of directions, but we've had these shadows and these silhouettes continuing 
to build and build and build. But our finality of what we need to be looking at now is what we saw happen with the Assyrians in ancient times, what we saw happen with Alexander the Great, who is our archetype of understanding what it is that's going to happen here the last days. Then we start putting things in order. I mean, we're at eight minutes, and as I stated, folks, this is really nothing more than an introductory program because we haven't really touched on everything we need to. Azerbaijan and what's happening in Armenia, oh, it's vastly, vastly important, especially these events happening throughout Central Asia, this new, quote-unquote, as they call it, the great game. It's not until we look at the ancient history, who these people are that are involved, look at Alexander's history next, and start drawing all the parallels. Now, I can understand why Israel has made close friends with the Azerbaijanis. You see, they actually, in Azerbaijan, it has a very high, high amount of people that are Muslims. They actually follow after what the Quran says, and they treat the people of the book well, who are the Christian and the Jews, you still have Jewish populations there and they're not harassed by the Muslims there because they follow what the Quran actually states as opposed to Hadiths and all the nonsense that everybody runs around quoting. No, that's literally, that's what the Quran actually says. And you'll, there's all kinds of different things that have been put up by Jerusalem Post and they're going through and explaining this. I've got historical documentation here that is stating the same thing. So I can see why they get along with these people here. Well, I'm not saying the Azerbaijanis are bad, nor am I saying the uh, Armenians are bad. They're all people just like us. They're important historically as <clears throat> man, oh man. If I could only study the history of the entire world in a lifetime, that's not realistic. I mean, I didn't see this one coming. I had never considered looking into this area. We had looked into Georgia years back when we started doing numerous reports about Mikhail Saakashvili back in 2012. Did a lot of things concerning Ukraine when the Ukrainian crisis broke out and actually brought to the forefront the reality of what was happening on the ground there, which has now been confirmed by multiple investigative journalists and other reporting from the ground. We told everybody what actually happened in the Ukraine as it was unfolding. We wouldn't have been able to do that without the reports coming from on the ground. And that's just it, folks. This is where these people are important in every part of the world. Get past the religious beliefs. Get past all of this stuff. Start looking at their culture. Start looking at their different beliefs. Start looking through their history. You end up like how I am. You get fascinated. You know, the one current book I'm reading right now about this new great game, when the Azerbaijanis brings up something in there that just cracks me up because it's something I've repeated around my house a billion times. America has no culture. Yeah, we came here, what, you know, over 200 and some years ago is when the Declaration of Independence goes in. We came in and took the land from somebody else. I mean, he's right. There is no culture here. It's a culture that's been slightly transported from elsewhere. And when you start looking at all these different cultures, suddenly you get fascinated with them. And then you start realizing the same thing that I realized over all these years. They're people. Christ came for everybody. 
for all the people of the world. Then you start seeing it through that lens. It really changes things. As time progresses here, as we do more in this series, there's going to be a lot of stuff revealed to people that we still haven't brought forward because it wasn't time. We had done a lot of these types of programs on the Band of Time YouTube channel. Once the infamous fake news filters were put into effect, well, somehow we got into the blacklist. Well, those filters stop anybody that's not towing the public opinion line, and they'll bury you. This has actually been verified through the statements made through Google itself, as they own YouTube. So this isn't even conspiracy, folks. This is what happened when they put those filters in. Big deal. So we took a hit. No problem. Matthew starts up the End Times Tribune again. We're zooming right back along. I started up this station to go back to doing these things. But at the same time, even covering some topics that are really going to hit hard. Because I don't know how else to state it. I did that program last week, Normalizing Nationalism. Some of these topics are not going to be comfortable, but they're still going to be said. But that's to give a little idea of an introductory idea of why we've started with this title and where we plan to go with this. I'm going to hand it back over to Matthew here for the last couple of minutes, a minute and a half, actually. Well, Brian, we certainly have had our (laughs) share of, oh, my goodness. How many video and audio broadcast have we lost? Um, how many YouTube channels have I had marked offensive and removed? Or And finally, like Facebook, I just got tired of them marking uh, the End Time Tribune as offensive, and the group was marked offensive, the page didn't matter, and all we were – I never even made any derogatory statements concerning any uh, group people or language not ever (laughs) we just talked about the bible so with that in mind we go forward we have started this series the crucible and it will continue until we get to the bottom until all the information is laid out on the table till next time ladies and gentlemen god bless godspeed brian thanks for joining us folks god bless Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.